So today we're starting a new sermon series on the Song of Songs. And to open this sermon series, uh, today I thought I'd unpack a little bit of background. First, why are we looking at this book? Secondly, uh, how are we uh, going to understand some of the themes within the book? And thirdly, we're just going to unpack together the first couple of verses. But before we do so, I want to take you back a fair few years to when I first became a Christian. Uh, many of you may know that I became a Christian in my final year of university. It was quite a dramatic conversion experience uh, and as of such uh, I had to take some time out just to re-evaluate my life and, and life choices. So I, uh, I due to start a job working for the MOD so I set that aside and spent uh, some months seeking the Lord's face as to what to do next and I moved back to my hometown uh, and started renting there and when I uh, when I when, when I was there I joined a local church a, a vineyard church and I was befriended by a very kind and generous woman I won't uh, name her in case uh, she gets to hear this I don't want to uh, uh, cause any blushes but she gave me two generous gifts the first gift she gave me was the gift of a car believe it or not and this was a great gift for someone who's just finished university and didn't have much cash to spare she was getting a new car and so she offered me her old Ford Fiesta and that Ford Fiesta I used every day and it was a great gift I used it for many years the second gift she gave me was this book that I've got in front of me here it's a it's a book by Spurgeon the 19th century preacher it's called the most holy place and it's a series of 52 sermons on the song of songs and unlike the car, which I use every day, I need to uh, admit now that this book wasn't used every day. In fact, it had laid unread on my shelves for many years. And uh, it laid neglected in many ways, the same way as the book, the Song of Songs within the Bible itself, is often neglected by many Christians. And yet we shouldn't neglect it because it deals with one of the most important subjects that we have in life, our relationship with God. And it calls us, the Song of Song calls us back to love and intimacy with God. It's the greatest of songs or the Song of Songs because it concerns itself with the thing for which we are all created, a relationship with God. And if you haven't got that relationship with God, you know, people speak of a yearning for God, a holy longing a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And if, if that is you, then let me encourage you to connect with God, to say yes to God today. But getting back to our message, you know, we live in a world right now in which we are longing for connection. We're in lockdown three and uh, many of us have had enough of isolation and disconnection. And so more than ever before, we need this book, which not only talks about human connection, it talks about spiritual connection. We find ourselves, don't we, in a time of crisis, somewhere between sadness and hope. We're mourning what we've lost, and yet we're hoping for what the future may bring. Stuck between that sadness and hope. And in the same way, this little book, The Song of Songs, is also nestled between sadness and hope. It finds itself uh, between the book of Ecclesiastes, which is uh, all about sadness, 
And then the book of hope, the book of Isaiah, which speaks of the comfort of the coming Christ. And so this is a book for such a time as this. You know, we've had a, a crazy last 12 months, haven't we? Not only have we been dealing with uh, COVID and all the implications of that, the huge economic uncertainty that we're facing, the world in lockdown. We've also had events such as the killing of George Floyd, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, what's happening in the US right now uh, with the Capitol Hill riots, uh, the seat of American democracy. Something is happening in the world and it feels as if the foundations of the earth are shaking. And as it says in Psalm 11, when the foundations of the earth are shaking, what will the righteous do? Will we be like those who Jesus speaks of in Luke's Gospel, who faint with terror? Or will we find ourselves with great confidence and peace in the steadfast love of Christ? And that's why we are called back to this book, the Song of Songs, because it draws us back into that secure, confident relationship with Christ. Go back to those early days when I first became a Christian. I remember in those uh, months when I was seeking the Lord's face, uh, listening to teaching by an American pastor called Mike Bickle. Mike Bickle was the pastor of IHOP, not the International House of Pancakes, uh, but the International House of Prayer. And his ministry was focused on prayer and worship and the great commandment, loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And Bickle, uh, in uh, his life, had spent uh, a, a large time studying the Song of Songs. And in his book called The Pleasures of Loving Christ, he writes the following. Let's uh, read it. Something is on the horizon for planet Earth for which the church is completely unprepared. An unprepared church cannot possibly prepare an unprepared world. God's mercy to the world is a prepared church, a prepared bride. She will be prepared because she will be prepared by a holy romance with her bridegroom, God. And this holy romance that's going to prepare us, the bride of Christ, is the theme of the Song of Songs. You know, we need to fix our eyes upon the bridegroom. Too often in the West, the church is just fixing its eyes upon the world. And, and if we want to be agents of God's grace in this time, we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Again, taking us back to that first week when lockdown, the first lockdown was announced and that call upon the church for this season to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And this book will help us to do that. We need to fix our eyes upon God. Will we say yes to God? Yes to entering into the divine romance. Yes to living daily in the light of God's love and being prepared by him to be used by him in these times. And so this is just some of the reasons about why it's important for us to be looking at this book in this season. Secondly, I said we were going to look about how are we to understand this song? You know, when we first uh, read this book, it seems quite earthy 
and erotic. And yet since the earliest times, this book has been seen to speak of a deeper mystery, the divine romance between God and his people. You know, so there's two broad schools of interpretation. You've got the uh, literal and you've got the allegorical. And on a, a literal level, it speaks of married love, of heterosexual monogamy, uh, intimacy between a man and a woman, something that the Bible uh, speaks in favour of. And yet, on another level, this book is allegory. In other words, a story or a poem with a hidden and deeper meaning. To read it allegorically has been hugely instructive to countless generations throughout the ages. From the early Jewish interpreters uh, to the church fathers, giants such as Ambrose and Jerome and Gregory the Great, through the, the medieval commentators, uh, through to even today. And there's good reasons uh, why we are called to interpret this book allegorically. The idea of God as the bridegroom and the people of God as the bride is seen throughout Scripture. So in the Old Testament, in Isaiah and in, uh, in Isaiah and other places, we've got this idea of God being a bridegroom and uh, the, the people of God, Israel, being the bride. Fast forward uh, to the time of Jesus, 700 years after Isaiah's uh, prophecy uh, was first spoken. You've got Jesus himself speaking of the kingdom of God being like friends waiting for a bridegroom who's delayed at coming to a wedding, uh, move even towards the final verses of the Bible. And you've got John seeing this vision of the, the, the new Jerusalem coming down uh, out of heaven, beautifully prepared as the bride of Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul as well makes uh, reference to uh, marriage in Ephesians 5, the coming together of male and female in intimate union, and he uses it as a metaphor of Christ and his church. He says, and yet I speak of a deeper mystery, that of Christ and his church. And so this is not to uh, cast aside completely or to discount the more literal reading of this text, the physical reading of this text, but it's a call to hold them both together and to nurture this allegorical um, spiritual reading of this text. Let me uh, 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 share with you um, uh, something that I found helpful with this regard, and it's, um, and it's a, a, a quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's in The Voyage of the Door Treader, um, uh, which is a which is a great book, and it's a conversational exchange between the, the children Eustace and Lucy, who who just landed on a, a remote island, and they've they've met this character called Romandu, who's a, a dazzling personage of, of wisdom, and Lucy has just asked uh, this character Romandu about himself, and so let me pick up what is read. It says this: "I am a star at rest, my daughter." answered Romando. In our world, said Eustace, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. Aha, even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. It is not what a star is, but only what it's made of. And likewise, in um, 
uh, in the Song of Songs, we've got the literal, the physical, the earthly and erotic um, dimension. But this is not what this poem is. It's only what it's made of. And we do it a great injustice and disservice if we, if we only focus on the literal meaning of the text. Instead, we are called to uh, move into the much richer and fuller allegorical interpretation of this text, this, this image between a divine moments between God and his church. And so that's the why and the how of why we study this book uh, in this season, the how. Um, uh, how are we looking at it? Well, we're going to be looking at it mainly from an allegorical point of view, the spiritual point of view, but we're not going to cast aside completely uh, the literal. It's important to hold them both together. And uh, lastly, as I said, let's dive into the text itself. We haven't got too much time to look at a huge section, so I'm just going to concentrate on the opening couple of verses. Verse 1, Solomon's Song of Songs. Quite a short verse. Verse 2. And this is the voice of the beloved or the voice of the woman. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For his love is more delightful than wine. The kiss of God. The kiss is quite a powerful image, isn't it? It's been used in to really uh, wonderful and powerful effect in art, literature, in film. I can still remember the first time that I saw Gustav Klimt's painting of the kiss. I can likewise I can remember the first time where uh, I saw Rodin's sculpture of the kiss whilst uh, backpacking around Europe, even in a, a socially distant world where we have to keep two meters away from each other. Production crews uh, and TV uh, are still working hard, working harder than ever to find inventive ways of keeping the kiss alive because it's such a powerful image. So you've now got uh, actors kissing each other through transparent sheets of plastic which are then digitally removed at the editing stage. That nice when you think about how the sausages are made. And so this image of the kiss of God is a powerful metaphor. The language is challenging to us, but I want to encourage us to be challenged by it. Let's recognise that it is a metaphor. You know, we're not actually physically kissing Christ, but it is a powerful image and it speaks of a deep intimacy with God. And ultimately, that's what worship is. The, the word that we translate as worship in the New Testament uh, simply means to come towards and to kiss. To come towards and to kiss. That's what worship is. And then uh, I hear some of you blokes out there thinking, you know, what are we to make of this image of us being the bride? Well, I would say, you know, fellow blokes out there, we just need to get used to it, to be honest. You know, Women have had to spend centuries getting used to being called sons of God. And likewise, we just need to get used to being called the bride of Christ. Because it's not about gender. This image is about privilege and position. It's a wonderful privilege and position, both to be sons of God and also the bride of Christ. This image 
of the kiss of God is a call to the church to awaken, to seek our first love. I'm reminded of the churches in the book of Revelation. In the, in, you've got the, the you've got Christ in the in the first opening chapters of Revelation speaking to uh, the seven churches, and one of the churches he speaks to is the church of Ephesus, and uh, and Christ acknowledge their hard work and perseverance. Uh, but then we hear these haunting words spoken to them. And yet I hold this against you. You have forgotten your first love. Saints, we are not going to forget our first love. We are called back to Christ. And then we've got the church uh, in Laodicea to which Christ uh, says the following. Sir. Picking up, he says this, I know your deeds, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, saints, we don't want to be lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. In lockdown, you know, God is wooing the church. You know, this, this image in the book of Laodicea actually brings me back to where we started this book and uh, to show that I have actually been reading some of it. Uh, thank you for the gift, by the way. Sorry, it's taken me quite a while to get around to reading it. Let me share with you a reflection that Spurgeon has upon this opening verse. So to close, let, me kiss, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips, for his love is better than wine. No! Say you, that is too familiar for me. Then I fear you do not love him, for love is always familiar. Faith may stand at a distance, for her look is saving, but love comes near, for she must kiss, she must embrace. And then he goes on to say this, and apologies for the 19th century language, but you will get what I mean. Do you know this love, Christian brethren and sisters? Some of you do. I know, for I have seen evidence of it in your lives. As for the rest of you, may you learn it and get above the low standing of the mass of Christ's church at this present day. Get up from the bogs and fens and damp morasses of lukewarm Laodiceanism and come ye up, come ye up higher, up to the mountaintop, where ye shall stand bathing your foreheads in the sunlight. This book is a call to come up higher, further up, further in, to bathe our foreheads in the sunlight of God's love. In lockdown, God is wooing his church. He is preparing his church. He is calling us back to him, our first love he's knocking on the doors of our hearts just this week i've been talking to uh, different people two different people have, have said to me that they have sensed this call upon their hearts to deeper intimacy with god in this season god is calling us to intimacy with him and the question is will we say yes and the answer of the church in verse 2 of our passage is a resounding yes. Yes to God. Let me kiss him. Let him 
kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And so, to close, let me encourage you to say yes to God, to stand before him daily, to receive his love, to bathe in your presence. However you draw close to God, may you do it. Spend time in worship, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer, but come back to God, come back to your first love. And may we as a church pray this prayer every day. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. Saints, we're going to enter into worship now. But before we do so, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that beyond all the activity and the mission and the good things you've got for us to do, Lord, first and foremost, you call us into the divine moments. You call us to yourself. You call us into love. And Lord, we pray that we would say yes to you today. That at the start of this new year, we would commit ourselves afresh to seeking you. Lord, forgive us for the times where we've gone astray and we want to say yes to you today. Yes to coming back to you. Yes to coming to you and to kissing you. Lord, meet with us, we pray. Not only now in our worship, but throughout this week. Draw us further in and further up. Amen. Saints, let's worship together.